welcome back to another episode of Points of View, the Point Hacks podcast. We've got Chris Chamberlain joining us again today, who's just finished the world's longest flight from Singapore to New York with Singapore Airlines. We talk about the experience as well as the future of ultra long haul flights in general. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. It's, a, it's good to have you back. Thank you. I'll tell you what, you, you, like, you're making up for lost time, I feel, from not flying with well, not flying much during COVID to what we're about to talk today. Like this is a this is a big trip. It it really is. I mean, we were we were having a chat last time when I just went to Auckland and I came back from that trip. I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be great if that flight to Auckland just took, you know, another ten hours or so? And then uh I'm up to Singapore and I'm thinking, hmm, Brisbane, Singapore is not long enough. I really could go for another ten hours or so. And then bang, Singapore, New York, nearly nineteen hours nonstop. That's yeah. Yeah. Definitely making up for lost time and lots uh, of short flights during COVID. Absolutely. So you know, I'll, I'll, we'll we'll jump into the the details of it. But you know, long story short, on this one, you you've you a flew the longest flight in the world at the moment, and then you came back on one of the other nearly longest flights in the world at the moment. So you know, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I really got my fix. It was yeah, the longest flight on the way over, and with a few other routes paused, it's the world's sixth longest flight that I took home to Australia. So. Two in the top ten on one trip, not bad. Yeah, let's let, let's let's dive into it. So mm. you uh, basically you're based in Brisbane, and you needed to go to the US for um, yeah a conference, I believe. Yeah, that's right. I had to go to Orlando in in Florida for a IPW conference. Uh, it's basically nearly five thousand people from the travel industry all getting together for. I guess also making up lost time, doing meetings, lining up interviews and stories and planning things ahead. But long story short, I needed to get somewhere near the east of the United States and flying through LA is never fun. So I was really looking for something a bit more exciting, a bit more comfortable. Um, And in the end, I had to also go up to Singapore anyway. So it became a case of, well, I'm already here. I may as well just fly from here to over there and do the world's longest flight. I'd been itching to do it for so long and I finally got to do it. It was so exciting. Yeah, this is very point hack. So in typical point hacks fashion, you to get to um, to get to New York, you went from you went basically went Brisbane to Singapore or would you go by Sydney? No, Brisbane straight to Singapore. Uh, Singapore Airlines has got three uh, flights a day again now, which is which is great. Not having to fly through Sydney is always perfect when you don't live there. <laughs> um, so Brisbane to Singapore, and then mm. you decided, hey, let's let's do the world's longest flight from Singapore to New York City. Exactly. Um, I'm glad you understand. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> it's just it just seems a long way to go. A long way to go to get to to New York. Um, Well, it was actually the shortest way for me because I had to be in Singapore or another business anyway. So flying to the US in the same week, if I'd have gone all the way home to Australia, I would have had to fly Singapore to Brisbane, then Brisbane all the way over to LA, and I'm still not where I need to be, take another flight from LA to New York or Orlando, whereas you know, I was already up in Singapore, there was a great flight to take and it could take me straight there. And it was actually, it's a long flight, but for me, it was the fastest flight. So it worked quite well. That makes sense. Hmm. And then, so you're you're in America. Um, how, how is America at the moment? I'm, I'm actually going there myself in five or six weeks. What's uh, what's it like on the? What's it like getting in and out of the country at the moment? So for me, I was very surprised because I landed at New York JFK. So you clear passport control in New York, which uh, a lot of Aussies may not be that familiar with. And it was amazing. There was so many lanes open. There was only one person in front of me at the queue I was sent to, and I don't have global entry or anything like that. It's just a normal. Australian passport 
Um, and when you've been there a few times, they stop asking you to do fingerprints and they get to a point where they stop even scanning your passport. You now just look at a camera <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, we recognize that guy, let him in. And so I got to baggage claim before the bags had even started coming out, which is not something I'd experienced in the US before. So getting in was fantastic. Um, when you are there, I mean, they're not really that big on wearing masks in a lot of places. So be prepared for that if that's um, something that's important. So on domestic flights in the US, they are optional now. Um, and But going around, I guess the tourists are back, but they're not there in the quantities that were there before COVID. So I went to Times Square in the evening when I was in, in New York and it started to rain just a little bit. I happened to have an umbrella with me. And so I ended up being one of about 10 people standing in Times Square. And I'm just looking around at all these bright lights, colorful screens, and I'm not standing shoulder to shoulder with all the other tourists doing the same thing. It's an amazing time to go right now. Um, and other than that, it, it felt quite safe overall, because if you want to wear a mask, you can wear one as an individual. No one's stopping you. There were no issues when I, I was doing that. And the great thing about there not being so many tourists is that you get a chance to do some of the things that you might have always missed out on in the past. So I'd been to New York so many times on business before. I'd never been able to get to the Statue of Liberty, at least to go up inside the statue, because that's something you always have to book months in advance. Mm, I remember Whereas, when I did it years mm, ago, I needed to book like nine months in advance. Yeah, exactly. Whereas on this trip, I was booking for the next week and I was like, okay, I can climb to the highest place that's currently open and I can get a ticket on the day that I'm there and I have a choice of time. This is fantastic. That's never <laughs> happened before. So it's 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 a really great time to go and I'm so happy that I was able to. Yeah. Yeah. And how was um, how was Orlando while you were down there? It was great. I mean, so I was down there for a week for the conference. So, I mean, there's a lot of time spent in, in meetings and that. I was having a joke with the team that I spent seven nights there and I didn't get five minutes to sit by the pool at the at the hotel, but I, I mean, knowing, really... knowing Orlando, there was probably an alligator in there. So, <laughs> but I mean, look, I, I can't complain. We did get to spend a few hours here and there at the some of the theme parks around. So, I mean, they they shut Universal for a party for the conference. They shut Disney Epcot for a different party after the conference. So it's you know, there was there was a bit of fun, but it must be a pretty big conference. Yeah, it was nearly five thousand people, and so yeah, it's wow. all the travel riders, travel agents, I guess people that promote destinations, attractions. So it's being able to let your hair down after two years of not being able to go anywhere. It was a it was a wonderful place to go, and I think there were probably more tourists in Orlando from the looks of it than there were in New York because everyone's just loving the the theme parks. The fact they can they can go there again from the U.S. and all around the world. So then you flew back via Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah, that's right. Because Orlando to Dallas is only about a two hour flight, and you can get plenty of flights on American Airlines, which is one of Qantas's partners in the US. And Qantas has a nonstop flight from Dallas straight into Sydney, which, um, as we were just saying, is the world's sixth longest flight at the moment. It's almost 17 hours on the way home, uh, Boeing 787. So you take off in the evening, you land. In the morning, it actually doesn't feel anywhere near as long as flying over to New York, funnily enough, and it's almost the same length. Oh, interesting. And uh, obviously, you managed, you, uh, I think you might have said you managed to snag business class on that, obviously. I did really well. We were thinking, oh, how am I going to get home? What award seats are there? And conference finished on a Friday, and I found an award seat flying out on Sunday night. So I was like, okay, this is, this is perfect. I just booked it before asking anyone because um, you can cancel them for free, worst case scenario. I sent a note through. I'm like, so I got a business class seat to Sydney. Is that all right? And they came back like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's all right. You 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 can do that. So it was it, it was a much more comfortable way of flying home. I really can't complain. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I'm really keen to dive into these ultra long hauls and just because I've never flown one myself, and I'm, mm. I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners haven't either. And 
you know, 17 hours, 19 hours on the plane, it's a long time. Um, it really is. And like when you look at it at a piece of paper, it looks really long. And, you know, let's, you know, we'll, we'll have a chat about, you know, Qantas's um, Project Sunrise a, a bit later. But what's it actually like? Let, let, let's, let's, let's do Singapore Airlines first and then let's do mm. um, the Dallas-Fort Worth to Sydney. W- what's it like on these long-haul flights? So you get on and there's a lot of excitement because you're like, oh, this is a really long flight. I've got a good seat. This is great. And so you settle in, you spend the first few hours like you would on any other flight. You know, the food comes out, the bubbles come out, you get a little bit of work done. Uh, but then you're you're all finished. You might have gone and had a nap and you wake up and there's still 12 hours to go. And for some <laughs> some people, that the flight wouldn't have started yet on some other routes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like beginning a journey at midnight and getting there at 5 p.m. If, if you're on that sort of length of flight. So for me, I found myself thinking, okay, this is this is a long flight. I got what I asked for, but are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, so you've sort of, you've got to have a plan. And my plan was to try and get on, have some food, have a sleep, because I was trying to adjust to New York time, because this one lands about 6.30 p.m. So you, mm. you, you don't want to have a sleep and wake up just before you get there, or you're not going to handle jet lag very well. So I tried to get a rest early in the flight, I ended up getting about six hours or so, which is not bad at all. That's not bad. Mm. But on routes like this, because they are so long, Singapore Airlines will serve whatever you like, whenever you like from the food menu. They don't really advertise it on the menu. I guess it creates a bit more work for the crew. But if you ask them and say, I want to go to sleep after this, I don't want to be woken up if you're coming through the plane later on with food, but can I eat later when I'm awake? We've got plenty of time. And they were very happy to accommodate that. And it ends up being three meals on this flight. You've got lunch when you take off, went to sleep, breakfast once I woke up, and then later in the flight, sort of a late lunch, early dinner. I guess that makes sense. 19 hours, it's a long time. Like I'd want three meals. Mm, it, it really is. I mean, formally on the menu, it's two, but then they say you can order whatever you want and they have a bit of a snack menu. So if you, when you wake up and feel like breakfast, they'll, they'll serve it to you, of course. Um, the great thing for me was that there was in-flight Wi-Fi. Because for me, I try and work on uh, when I'm traveling on really long flights and I've got space to use the laptop and being able to keep up with the office, keep up with friends, file stories. It's it's really helpful. You get 100 meg of free data as a business class passenger. And that was enough to survive me on the laptop without yep. you know transferring large files and things. But just doing emails and everything, I, I didn't run out of data, which is great. And it really helped pass the time. Yeah, I bet. Um, just stay off YouTube when you're on those flights. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's probably blocked knowing that. It's probably, yeah. to save all the data, but yeah. Yeah, which, which would be smart. Um, it's an interesting plane though. So they only fly premium economy and business. Is that correct? That's right. So there's no first class on the plane, but there's also no economy class on the plane. So from it's an Airbus A350-900ULR. So it's a similar plane that our listeners might have flown on, but I guess with larger fuel tanks, longer range. And so... Almost the entire plane is filled with business class. It goes to about back just behind the wing. And then there's a small, I think it's about 12 rows or so of premium economy down the very back of the plane where on most other jets you would have normal economy. And there's just, there's no economy seating because I guess the flight is so long, people want to be comfortable. But the more people you carry, I suppose, the more weight it adds, the more fuel it burns. And when you're trying to run the world's longest flight, that that becomes an issue. So yeah, you've got to you've got to save your points to do business or, or premium economy on that. There is no economy. It's an interesting one because, just statistically speaking, for the number of seats on the plane, you're, you're probably more likely to be able to get a business class flight on something like this than you would be on well, you know, a few other legs. 
I mean, you'd think that. You'd think they're, that. Like, they're, they're know, very popular. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Mean, it's true. Singapore to New York is a really popular route, I guess, for business travelers, just the, the corporate traveler companies booking, buying business class. And so it, it can actually be easier to get seats during times like school holidays, which is not normally the case that you'd find on, on other airlines. Um, but yeah, it's the, the award seats are there. The difficulty with Australia is pairing them with a flight from Australia if you want to connect straight through Singapore. So for me, if to book that same itinerary, I'd have to find a seat from Brisbane to Singapore and a seat from Singapore to New York, not just one seat on one flight. So yeah, well, you um you had a little hack on your flight to to Singapore itself. You you know this is the point hacks knowledge of knowing what plane to get. I did. So between Brisbane and Singapore, they've got uh, or Singapore Airlines has two different types of A350 seats. So I was in business class as a guest of Singapore Airlines, and so I had a bit of a choice between. Do I want to fly on the plane that's the long haul plane where you have the really wide seat, super spacious, a bit more room on board? Or do I want to fly on the medium haul regional plane where the seats are a bit skinnier because I guess they're, they're designed to fly on shorter flights? And I was like, well, I'm going to take the, the plane. I mean, it really sounds like seat. a tough choice. It, it was sounds really like a real tough, tough, that tough choice. That was a hard day in the office, Dave. But that's, I tell you what, that was difficult. Which seat do I get? <laughs> okay, am I going to go for the good seat or the still good seat, but not quite as good seat? Mm. <laughs> but it's the same when you're spending your points. And I guess uh, the trick with Singapore Airlines is if they're selling premium economy on the flight, they have the wide seat. If they're not, they have, I guess, the skinnier seat. So if you're a bit fussier as a flyer or you just want the best experience, I say go the wide seat. But I mean, the other is still perfectly acceptable. I've flown it before. I've I've slept in it before. So it's, you know, you can't complain either way you go. Exactly. You know, it's, it's it, you know. Well, the wider seat, looks like in your seat, it's probably better than economy. So always better than economy. Better economy. Um, so, how did the Singapore Airlines um, ultra long haul compare to the Qantas uh, Dallas Fort Worth to Sydney? So, I've got to say, the Singapore Airlines flight felt a lot longer, and I mean, it was it was an extra two hours or so. But the timing of that flight, you take off at lunch and you land at dinner time, but there's 19 hours in between, so it is your body is feeling a bit more like you're awake. So it's a little mm. harder to get to sleep. You you know, you know, sort of want to rest a bit when you get to the destination. So for me, the Singapore one felt that a little bit longer. Dallas just went by so quickly. You take off just before midnight. So you get on, you have supper, you go to sleep, you wake up and it's almost time for breakfast and you're in morning time zone in Australia. So for me, that flight was just so easy. I didn't really have to think about it. Whereas the Singapore Airlines route to New York, I really had to try and plan my sleep, plan what I was going to do, work out how I was going to try and adjust to jet lag. And in the end, it worked quite well. I, I got to New York and I, I had so much energy. I went out for dinner. I was thinking I'd land after such a long flight, just sort of room service and go to bed. But I had enough energy to go out. I had a good rest that night. And the next day I was out and about in, in New York with, with what felt like no jet lag. So it's it's manageable when you have a strategy, but yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend just getting on and hoping for the best because you've you've got to work out what works for you. Yeah, and the seats on the basically just standard affair Qantas business class from Dallas Fort Worth to Sydney. Yeah, so it's the Dreamliner, so it's the same um, basic business class seat that they've also now got on the A380, uh, and that a lot of flyers might have also flown on the A330s. So it's most, I think. Qantas long-haul flights or in fact all Qantas long-haul flights now have that same seat so the Dreamliner is a little bit nicer if you're traveling as a couple you can put the wall down in between the seats in the middle which you couldn't do in the first version of the seat but other than that it's very comfortable and because I booked my flight home about a month in advance I had a, a pretty good pick over the seats in the cabin so 
they sort of zigzag between sitting near the aisle and sitting away from the aisle. And knowing it was an overnight flight, I chose the away from the aisle and managed to sleep quite well. So that's that's always a good tip. Check the seat map and see where your seat is. And uh, if you do want to rest, definitely try and pick a seat that's right up against a window, not not against the aisle with people making noise and waking you up. Yeah, yeah, it helps. <laughs> so, like, so the 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 Singapore to New York leg. Have you ever flown an ultra ultra long haul before? Was this the longest flight you'd done, or is this you know, how, how does this uh, how does this fare in the uh, in the history of Chris? <laughs> so it is the longest nonstop flight I've done, which is fair because it's the longest flight in the world. Um, I think before that, my longest flight was probably a really slow LA to Melbourne that took about sixteen hours or so, which is still in that same ballpark. But I mean. LA to Melbourne's a bit different from Singapore to New York, right? So every other journey I've done that's been longer has always had a stop because that's what you've done in aviation. So if you're flying to Europe, you might be 24 hours or so on what feels like the one flight, but you're landing in Asia or the Middle East or somewhere like that to get off, stretch your legs, change planes, get back on. But yeah, Singapore, New York, nonstop, you don't have that option. You've got to stretch your legs on the flight. That's the only way you're going to do it. Would you have done the same flight if you were in premium economy? Ooh, good question. It sort of Because you're right about not, not being able mm. to stop and not being able to get up and, and stretch properly. Mm. I mean, this is, you know, obviously going to be, it's a consideration that Qantas are looking at for Project Sunrise and, you know, mm. obviously you know, Air New Zealand are, are doing some interesting things with their planes at the moment as well. Um, yeah, would would you do it in premium economy? I think it all comes down to the design of the seat for me because I can sleep all right in, in premium economy if the leg rest swings up and you can lean your legs onto it. I am a bit fussy like that. But mm. on, on Qantas premium economy, on their new seat design, it doesn't do that. It has sort of a paddle thing that comes down and there's a bit of a net and I'm six feet tall. So for me, that that just doesn't work and there's not enough room between the rows I find for my knees and my legs because uh, I've done Qantas premium economy on a... I think it was Melbourne to LA flight on the new um, seat and I didn't really sleep that well. I kept being woken up. And so for me, if I were doing that all the way to somewhere like London or New York, I probably then would not want to book it again. So I think if Qantas, uh, I guess, designs a seat that's a bit more comfortable for those really long flights and and makes people, I guess, want to spend that extra money over economy to, to book that experience, that will be very interesting to see what they do. Um, on Singapore Airlines, if I, look, if I had an aisle seat, I always like to be able to get up and, and stretch my legs. Oh, I like the aisle if, as well. If you're yeah. in the window and you've got to step over someone and they're asleep and it's a long flight, you feel really bad waking people up, especially, you know, you're not flying economy. People have paid for premium economy to try and get some sleep or what have you. So it's that one's tricky. I guess mm. I've just got to do it and see what happens, don't I? Yeah. So um, having done these two flights, what would you expect to see with Qantas in their Project Sunrise? I mean, you've we've seen some cabin images of what they want to do with first class. So they're, they're finally bringing in the closing doors, which on a really long flight where you do want to have a good sleep, that's fantastic. Um, mm. It finally sort of brings it into the league of what Emirates, Etihad, other carriers have been doing for years. So the really good first class is is up there. I mean, business, the seats that they have right now would, I mean, the, the sunrise flights only be about two hours or so longer than the Dallas to Sydney. And on that route, business is perfectly comfortable. So I don't think there's a lot of innovation they need to do there. In premium economy, space is going to be the the key thing. I think having a seat where you can sleep without feeling boxed in, without 
I guess the seat in front reclining and and hitting you because there is just that little room available. I think that's going to be key. And down in economy, wow. Um, mm. Honestly, I'm the kind of person that if I am flying really long haul economy, you know, my first ever super like long haul journey was Australia to London, as it is for for many Aussies. And I broke that in Singapore, and I was very happy after the first eight hours to get off in Singapore, stretch my legs get on the next flight and and get the journey done. Whereas that sort of uh, really ultra long haul without being able to get up and stretch your legs, I think space is going to be key. And what Air New Zealand's doing on some of their Boeing 787s coming in in a couple of years time is allowing economy passengers to go downstairs and book a bunk bed. And it's really, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I, I just, I look at it and wonder about the practicality of it because mm. there's only so many bunk beds. They are. So they're limiting it to four hours only, which I guess is also how they stop people from uh, saying, well, I don't need business anymore because economy has beds, so I'm just going to fly economy. So they'll come and wake you up after four hours and kick you out. Mm. So it's, I guess in that way, you you make your, your booking and it's almost like a timeshare in that sense. You know, someone comes in for four hours, the next person comes in for four hours, next person comes in for four hours and, and so on and so on. So they can sort of resell the same experience multiple times on the one flight, which is great for their I guess great for their revenues. It's nice for people to have a nap, but I mean, four hours sleep on a, a twenty-hour flight is still uh, sixteen hours left to go. So it'll be mm. really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, I can I can imagine even just the ability to to stretch out for you know a few hours there would be, you know, I put myself in that position. I'd I, I'd quite welcome it. Um, but you're right, like four hours is it's not a long time. It's not enough time to get a proper sleep. Mm. Um, you know, if you have the ability to just you know not off in your in your chair and you can probably knock out hopefully anywhere between like six seven hours so like breaking that up with you know you you know getting up getting into the bed you know you're probably not actually going to get a full four hours there um you're certainly not going to get full four hours sleep it, yeah, it'll exactly. be really interesting to see how they how it's received and i also look at it and go well it's it is going to be an interesting little micro economy on the within economy with Air New Zealand now around how you, okay, how do I actually, is there a slew of hacks to get, um, to get access to this bunk bed? That's right. And I guess you, you've got to choose when you want it to. So for me, I'd probably pay the most to put that right in about the middle of the flight. So just when you're reaching mm. to escape, you see you, yep. if you're flying somewhere like Australia to Asia, you'd be there already getting up at that point to go lie down for a few hours. If you're flying economy it would be a fantastic experience. And then you, you have your nap, you wake up, oh, okay, another eight hour flight to go in your mind. So I'd probably pay the most to do it right in the middle of the flight. I think Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's pointless at the start. It feels mm. a little pointless at the end. Um, they yeah, could right, always probably right make it middle. free at the beginning, but everyone's like, no, I want my food. This, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go there yet. So, <laughs> um, so let's talk points. Mm. So, what was the overall cost of points for the for these trips for you? So uh, let, let's let's break it into your first flight, the first trip, and the second trip because you got some really good um, value for your points on this one. I did, yeah. So the way over was hosted by Singapore Airlines because I was going up for the opening of their lounges at Changi Airport anyway. But to book the same itinerary after all the changes that Chris Flyers just put through would cost exactly one hundred and forty five thousand five hundred Chris Flyer miles but only $152.20 to pay in taxes and fees from Australia all the way to New York for business class. So that's phenomenal value if you're doing that redemption. And I was, I was having a look if I wanted to do that trip and, and pay miles myself, I could go in, in two weeks and find a seat on the exact same flights, the, the good seat out of Brisbane and then the 
ultra long haul Singapore to New York. Um, and if you look at the cash fares of those flights, they're about $8,000 each way from Australia. So you're getting a bit over five cents per mile in value there. Um, the couple of domestic legs I did, we just paid cash because at the moment it's it's a bit hard to get seats in the US using partner points. Oh, I've of, tried. I've tried. Yeah, yeah it's They're hard. keeping them all for their own frequent flyers because they, they're a bit more dynamically priced over there. So if they have a really cheap redemption that they might release for their own frequent flyers, they, they often will then release it to partners. But for us, you know, traveling for business, you just buy a ticket because that was just the easiest way to get there. But then Fast forward to Dallas, um, I first booked Dallas to Sydney and it's 126,500 bonus points. Um, and then I realized, hey, actually, I can tag a Sydney-Brisbane flight on as part of the same award because it doesn't... Yeah, you, you got to rip some real good value here. Mm, and it doesn't increase the number of points you need because it's within the same distance zone that they charge for the ticket. So I got Dallas-Sydney-Brisbane for the same 126 and a half thousand Qantas points. And the total taxes, fees, carrier charges were about 330 Aussie dollars. And I was looking on the Qantas website to buy the same return ticket is about 17,000 Australian dollars on a business saver fare, which that's a bit of a laugh, a bit of a saver fare for you. It's only 17,000. But using points and looking at, you know, half that value um, in terms of the the return fare cost, yep. it's it's over six cents per point. Yeah, it lands about six and a half cents, doesn't it? Mm. It's it's very good. And just, I mean, you look at the, the cash fare, you look at what the points cost and to be able to get a seat and, you know, I, I was a bit cheeky. I posted on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, I just saved the company $8,000. We, uh, you know, we booked this flight on points. We, we didn't spend cash. How amazing is that? Um, but yeah, the, I mean, airfares are just insane at the moment, especially on really popular markets like the United oh, yeah. States where... There's less competition than before. There are fewer flights than before. And people have been itching to get there for work, for holidays. And I mean, they wouldn't have the flights at that price if people weren't buying the ticket. You know, the cabin was almost full when I was on board um, home from Dallas. And there are only, you know, well, there was only one business class reward seat when I went to book. So, you know, lots of people are paying these fares. But to be able to get them on points really shows the value that you can get from your frequent flyer points. But if you are a little bit flexible, is the uh, the tricky part with flying across the Pacific. Just you're not going to find a business reward seat on every flight, but they are there if you dig and if you're patient. Yeah. I mean, any other tips for anyone looking to do these long hauls? So Singapore Airlines, for New York, they fly from Singapore into JFK. They've got two flights. One's the nonstop that I did, and they also have another that goes via Frankfurt, which is not the most direct way of getting to New York for Aussies. But if you are trying to get a point seat into New York, that can be another option. But in New York, they also fly to Newark Airport over in New Jersey, which is still a New York area airport. And they have those nonstop flights again between Singapore and Newark. The Singapore Airlines website isn't smart enough that when you type in JFK and there's no seats, it will show you what's available in Newark. You have to know to type EWR, which is the airport code, and do a separate search and see what happens. Um, with getting up to Singapore as well, it's, it's the same thing flying from Australia. If you're trying to search flights from Sydney, and seeing no seats, try searching from Melbourne or from Brisbane or, of course, from Adelaide or Perth or Darwin or Cairns if you're that flexible, depending on where you are, because the website, again, won't say, okay, you're flying from Australia. We don't have seats from Sydney, but we have seats from Melbourne. You need to know to go in and, and look for them. Um, and so that that can really help get the um, connection lined up with, with the Singapore New York. So it's probably easiest to search Singapore New York first and just see what's available because I guess those those seats might be a little bit harder than getting a seat from one of the many Australian routes. But 
yeah, just being flexible is always the um, the thing for us. And the other thing with Qantas points flying home from Dallas is that at the moment, their website's not the friendliest to use for flights. So I was typing in Dallas to Brisbane when I was first trying to book the award and it was saying, oh, I'm sorry, there's no seats available. But I then went and typed in Dallas to Sydney, which is where that flight initially lands and bang, business class reward seat. I then went to the multi-city tool to try and initially book it all in one trip. And I'm like, okay, Dallas, Sydney, Sydney, Brisbane, spell it out. And you could find the flights, you go to pay and it spits out an error. It's like, no, we don't want to let you fly to Brisbane. So if you, um, you can, I guess, search point to point. And if you know where Qantas flies, that can really help. So it's from Sydney, you've got Dallas, you've got LA, you've got San Francisco, Melbourne, you've also got LA. Brisbane, you've got LA, and searching each of those routes will often give different results. You'll see seats that aren't available if you search the other way. And so sort of what what might be the easiest way to do is to book that long-haul flight as soon as you see the availability, because that's the Mm. hard part. Mm. And then calling Qantas and hoping you get someone who knows what they're doing, which is a bit tricky when you're trying to say, I want to add a segment to a reward ticket for no extra points. I just pay the tax and getting someone to really understand why that is. It's like, actually, it's a, you know, it's a zone eight classic reward or something. And uh, that's the hard part. That took me a few attempts to to get that Brisbane flight added in. But trust it, me, I write for point hacks. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be a catchphrase, I think. But um, yeah, you know, I was in the end, I was able to add Sydney, Brisbane in Qantas business class for no extra points on top of that Dallas, Sydney flight and for about 20 US dollars in taxes and fees. So it's a pretty again, good I, was, I was quite happy putting that expense in. I'm like, I'm flying business class for $30. You know, I'm sorry, it's not economy, but I think the price is okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, any more long, ultra long hauls in your immediate future? I mean, not right now. I had my fix. I was really itching for the really long flights and I finally got them. And so I think <laughs> for me, I guess, you know, staying closer to home has a bit bit of an advantage when it comes to time zones and sleep and uh, and all that sort of stuff. But I'm sure there's a few uh, interesting things coming up on the horizon that we can talk about soon. Oh, definitely. I, I'm, I'm very sure that we'll have you back on again pretty soon for some, you know, more interesting Chris uh, Chris <laughs> Chamberlain hacks, which, uh, you know, you, you definitely come up with some good ones. Mm. Uh, but Chris, great to have you on the podcast yet again. Uh, looking forward to our next conversation and, um, you know, glad you survived these ultra long hauls. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Great to chat and enjoy your own flight to the US. Yeah, can't wait. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. That's it for today's episode of Points of View, the Point Hacks podcast. Remember to visit pointhacks.com.au for more frequent flyer deals, guides, and tips. I'm David Walsh, and don't forget to subscribe.